So much of the growth of the UAE over the last two, three decades has been related to the aviation sector, in particular our national airlines, Emirates, Etihad Airways, and how they've been able to connect the world back to us and been able to facilitate trade and business. But within that, the actual aviation sector itself over the last few years has been driven by trends in the Middle East, in the Gulf, in the UAE. Now, one of the centerpieces of that has always been the Dubai Air Show, running every two years, where historically we've had massive commitments to aircraft orders from manufacturers like Boeing and Airbus from airlines in this region. But in recent years, there's been a lot of changes. This is the Business Extra podcast. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. Joining me is Christian Nelson, Assistant Business Editor here in Abu Dhabi. And we're talking about the aviation sector, looking ahead to this month's Dubai Air Show. Chris, welcome. Thank you. So the Dubai Air Show, for the uninitiated who may have stumbled upon this podcast, is exactly what? It's, um, along with Farnborough, the probably the premier air show um, on the planet, uh, where some of the biggest deals in history have been done um, in the past within the past five, eight, ten years. So we have Boeing, we'll have Airbus, we'll have Bombardier, we'll have Embraer. Anatov, we'll have Embraer, we'll have the private aircraft. Yeah. I mean, there's ancillary yeah. aircraft on show this year. There'll yeah. be a space program that yeah. we'll talk about later. Um, and so you have, to paint a picture, it's down at Dubai World Central near Maktoum International Airport, um, which is south of Dubai, in the south of Dubai. Um, and there'll be maybe... 160 aircraft on display, on fixed display, like on the tarmac, correct? Yeah, it's massive, yeah. There'll be an exhibition as well of sort of aviation-related companies. There will be business being done, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. There'll be displays in the sky. So it's a bit of a show for the punters as oh, well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's very much like Farnborough in that sense. It's, uh, it's very public-faced. Um, it, it's not, you know, trade-only. Um, it's very public orientated as well. And it has a piece of everything. There's a bit of mm. commercial, a bit of defense, a bit of innovation, a bit of technology. There might be a little bit of unmanned aerial systems as well, a little bit of helicopters. I mean, you name it, basically. Yeah, if it flies, it'll be there right. in one form or another. Right, yeah. exactly. If it, if it leaves the ground, <laughs> yeah. um, it'll be involved. Yeah. Uh, so if we take a sort of bigger thematic picture of, of this event and what it means, historically, it, it's been there to showcase the growth of the UAE's aviation sector as much as anything and how it links up to the world. And 2013, for example, four years ago, record aircraft orders, particularly from Boeing and, of course, from Airbus. I think we had in the region of, if I check my notes, $162 billion of orders in 2013, which surpassed the record set, the global record set in 2007 at the Dubai Air Show, which was $155 billion. Mm -hmm. Now, Going back two years, we had around 37, Seven, yeah. 37 billion dollars of orders. Not pocket change, but compared to previous years, it was a lot smaller. Um, now, the backdrop here is technology is disrupting the aviation sector like it hasn't done in years, possibly since the A380 came on the scene, mm -hmm. which sort of introduced that sort of super jumbo technology that, that allowed that hub model to really evolve from, from Dubai and the UAE and Abu Dhabi and elsewhere. Um, and, but this year, what's technology really, what's the discussion around technology? I think um, it, it's, it's a fundamental shift, again, um, as, as much uh, as wide-ranging as the A380. It's a move from those big super jumbos um, to, to narrow-body aircraft, which have uh, much improved efficiencies through technological development of the engines, whereby 
they can now offer um, long-haul uh, services that uh, the A380 made its money on um, because, of course, the A380 could pack a lot of people into it, now, uh, but it took a lot of jet fuel. Now, with these new uh, efficient engines, it's worthwhile um, for a, a 180, a 240-seat aircraft to, try to, to fly a longer-haul route. It can do it, and it can do it efficiently. Um, uh, so it, it um, makes you question the, the viability of the A380 in the long term, really. And the viability of the hub model, because I mean, mm. this is something that Emirates and Etihad, and Emirates in particular, has not shied away from discussing about you know, new strategies and how to deal with this. So we take the, the most famous example at the moment is Norwegian, which is using 787s and, and 737 MAXs um, to fly the North Atlantic route, initially from Ireland and now from the UK. And that's disrupting the traditional sort of where well, you need big aircraft mm-hmm. to do that seven, mm-hmm. eight hour journey. Um, now, if that's the case, then why couldn't you do those distances in Asia or the distances to, to, to the Asia Pacific, which have been the most lucrative routes? And certainly, you know, they took the tie up, biggest tie up the recent years of Qantas and Emirates had been the respect of how well Emirates had done that hub model. And they moved their operations from Singapore and saying it's better to hub from Europe through Dubai. But if you can, if you can fly those distances, anyway with smaller aircraft then more people are going to get in on the game absolutely yeah um obviously Qantas has now uh dropped Dubai as its uh, as its um connection point um although they have reaffirmed their commitment to each other um on code shares and stuff like that um but yeah I, it does put into question the hub uh method I think with with Norwegian um being a, a pioneer in this um, new sort of low-cost, long-haul, narrow-body uh, model, there is um, some debate as, as to whether the model is sustainable should jet fuel prices rise because the margins they're operating on are already very, very thin. And as we know, aviation margins are thin anyway. Um, so it will be interesting to see how they could, should oil and jet fuel prices rise significantly whether that's sustainable at the moment but as you were saying um the the development of technology for the engines may well counter that anyway um so i think the transferal of that model to other parts of the uh, the world particularly asia um if it stands up to scrutiny over the next year, 18 months, two years, and um, works, then yes, I, I, can, I can't see why it wouldn't be um, taken on here as well. And it would mean that Etihad and Emirates and, and um, you know, Singapore and Cathay would have to look again at, at their own model. Um, how would they incorporate a, a narrow-body fleet, which something like Emirates, for instance, does not have? Um, would they go out and, and, and buy narrow bodies or, or what would they do? So it's a very interesting situation at the moment and I'm sure there's a lot of these big carriers are scratching their heads thinking how, how are we going to react here because the slow ones to react are going to go under. There's, there'll be no doubt about that. 
So I mean, the, the conversation that's been going on over the last uh, year or more has been between Airbus and Emirates about the A380 program. So Emirates is the biggest operator of the A380, um, and they very much want Airbus to put these more efficient engines that the likes of GE and Rolls-Royce have been producing. Um, but Airbus wants a new customer or wants a new commitment from Emirates to underwrite that investment. And so it's a standoff. Yeah, I would call it a Mexican standoff, but probably not. It's something else, some kind of aviation standoff, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, you talk about, you know, Emirates' fleet and changing their fleet. And again, you know, looking at my notes, um, in the, the 2013 order, while Emirates did order sort of 50 of those A380s, they also spent a hell of a lot of money on 777Xs, mm-hmm. which promised to be very long range, very efficient. Etihad also ordered 777s and 787s. So these begin to start being delivered to Emirates in 2020. So as you were saying quite rightly, depending on what happens to the oil price and by extension aviation fuel, it's a kind of waiting game now up to 2020 when they begin to be able to update their fleet. And when some of these earlier A380s that they ordered begin to be phased out, and that's and will they still have that opportunity to continue to be competitive? Now, um, you know what happened this week was that Emirates said they would put more flights on to London, for example, over the festive period, and they would w- remove uh, first class from mm. some of those extra routes. Right? They're going to put scale and bulk and people on it, so they're still very much trying to to move as many people as possible on these lucrative routes. They're not shying away from that model. I think it's interesting that they've taken out uh, first first class on this because, as you say, it means they can get more people in. They have to get more people in in order to, to maintain the, the commercial viability of them, I think. Um, Airbus is in a, a tough situation, really, and Emirates is in a pretty good situation um, from the point of view that it doesn't make sense for Airbus to continue manufacturing A380s unless they have... A major order. It's not. It's not worth their while doing small orders. So, Emirates is pretty much crucial to the survival of the A380. I mean, if they don't put a big order in, I, I really think the A380 output will be cut to maybe one a month, and that will be just a clear backlog. And then I don't think I think they'll mothball it because it, without a very big order, it's not worth their while making them. And it may never have been profitable. By the I time they do mothballing, no. right? Yeah. I mean, it, it was such a big undertaking, and it, and it required such huge orders. And back then, ten years ago, when when more more airlines were taking A three eighties, everyone expected this hub model to proliferate. Um, but then, as technology changed, oil price doubled, um, and then f- halved. It was a perfect storm. Yeah, right? I yeah. mean, it, it's it's amazing to see you know the, these factors that that we couldn't predict have come into play. Everyone thought the world would be the skies would be filled with super jumbos and variants of it. But interestingly, you know, you've got to give Boeing some credit here because they decided we're not going to win the super jumbo game. And they and they're the ones that first had the first jumbo, the mm-hmm. seven four seven mm-hmm. jumbo jet. They said we're going to go for the the other way. And so you know their triple seven X, their seven eight seven is real competition. Yeah, and and Airbus very efficient jets as well. Right, yeah. exactly. And Airbus is is is, is rival to that as the A three fifty, and that's also the subject of a huge debate over whether Emirates will pick Boeing or Airbus. Absolutely, I think uh, I think Boeing's in a in a good position. Um, they've got the technical expertise, as you say. They they didn't try and take on the A three eighty head on. Um, they recognized that there was a, a, a section lower down the market they could pitch into, which they did very successfully with the, uh, the 787 and the 777. Um, 
And they have another advantage over Airbus in that um, the 747, the original super jumbo, as you said, uh, is also available as a cargo plane. The A380 isn't. So um, that that's another problem for, for Airbus. And I think it's very interesting that, that, that they're obviously aware of this because their speed at which they move to take over Bombardier and the C-Series program of... Um, this is Airbus. Uh, about. Yeah. Um, they took that over as soon as it became possible that they could. Now, what that does is it provides them with a portfolio of airplanes from 100 to 150 seats, which at the moment they don't have. So... And they're very good aircraft. The, the C-Series are extremely good. Uh, they're very popular, although it, it nearly crippled the company bringing it to, um, bringing it to market. Um, they're very efficient. Uh, they do um, a much better job than, than most of their rivals. Um, in fact, all of their rivals, although the MRJ from uh, Mitsubishi claims that when it does come to market, it will be 20% more efficient than anything available at the moment. However, Airbus, by taking the C-Series, now has this extra portfolio right in the place where it needs to be. So it might well make sense for Airbus to abandon the A380 anyway and just say, well, that, that, we don't, it's not going to work anymore. So we now have this huge, you know, they've got three different variants of a very popular, very effective, very efficient plane, bang, smack in the niche they want to be in or any air, air, aircraft maker wants to be in right now. So. So if we're saying that it's unlikely we're going to get big orders from Emirates or Etihad or these big carriers as they wait and see and they see how their their plans play out, where will the orders come from at the air show this month? I think the most likely big order will be from Flyer Deal, uh, the new Saudi Arabian cut price um, carrier that was set up in the summer. Um, they said last month that they would announce this month or within a month um, whether they were going to take the Airbus A320 or the Boeing 737 in a 50-plane deal, which would be worth around about $5 billion at, um, at undiscounted prices. Um, I can't see whether there'll be anything bigger than that, although Turkish um, uh, uh, may announce a deal for, uh, for 787s and A350s because they need to refresh the fleet. Um, so that could come in. That might be quite big. Um, Boeing reckons they're going to firm up orders. Um, they're also showing the first 787-10X te uh, test aircraft, um, which is a, a stretch 787, um, and it's got about 340 seats. Again, hitting that market where they know they've got an advantage. Um, as I say, there, I'd, there won't be anything from it. I'd be astonished if there's anything from Emirates. There won't be anything from Etihad. Um, Singapore uh, has already... Um, announced an order for I think I think about 15 or 20 um, jets of about I think that was about 9 billion so they're not going to they're not going to announce anything none of the other big carriers are, need to or I, don't, I think are in a position to so so beyond the aircraft orders you know the, the technology is also going to be in discussion around in-flight connectivity which seems to be the next big area of growth, how airlines use that connectivity, first of all, to maximize revenue from passengers, but also because passengers are demanding. You know, I think the recent survey from IATA said something like 42% of passengers would like to use their own devices online. 
And that, again, that will require in-cabin aircraft overhauls, be good for the MRO companies. But it also shows that, you know, things are changing in the way we fly, what we expect. Me personally, I like to have no connectivity on a plane. (laughs) And a lot of people I talk to anecdotally say the same thing. So who the 42% are, I don't know. Millennials. Is that what it is? (laughs) It's always them, isn't it? Um, But uh, closer to home, and and this is going to be showcased at the air show, um, there was a consortium of companies in the UAE, Yarsat, uh, Do, Etihad Airways Engineering, and international companies that successfully tested high-speed broadband in flight uh, last week. Uh, they're calling it Wi-Fi. It's 50 Mbps, and you should be able to stream things like Netflix quite easily. They're going to have a, a, a test plane there at the air show that people can come on and see, can I actually stream while I'm on a plane? That will be uh, that will be fascinating. Yeah, if it works, it'll be a um, it'll be a real trendsetter. I think. Um, I think what it does do is it shows that um, you know the big airlines are no longer in a position to tell the passenger what to do. It's it's the other way around now, um, because again, with the advent of technology, particularly personal technology, um, if if a big carrier offers that, then offers it because that's what the the passenger wants then that's where the passenger's going to go um it's it's very different from even 10 or 15 years ago when you know when british airways for instance um was like you know it was like getting your dad to drive you to work or something you know you did what he said uh, you sat where he said and you didn't listen to the radio station you wanted to listen to um, well, now you're driving the car, effectively, although you're not the pilot, obviously. They, but. they used to have a dress code in first class, British Airways. Yes, they did. You, yeah. had, you, had to wear, you couldn't wear jeans. That's right. Now yeah. people come in their pyjamas with yeah. a pillow. Yeah. You know, flying is no longer an occasion. Chris. It's not. No, it's not. It isn't. And uh, I think, you know, as, again, with the, the advent of, um, of, sh- of low-cost long-haul, it's not far off before we're thinking, you know, I'll, I want to go to so-and-so tomorrow. I'll take the plane rather than thinking I'll take the bus. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's lost its glamour, definitely. Unless you can afford, you know, um, one of the ultra, ultra uh, suites on Emirates or something like that. Yeah, or, or the, I mean, the private aviation market will be re- well represented mm-hmm. in Dubai Air Show. Mm-hmm. They've been struggling with the, in the region with the fall of the oil price because, it, you know, simply it's connected to corporate demand. And you know, one of the first things that will go will be the the corporate jet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but you know, they'll be very keen to show that their planes are more efficient. They're they're cheaper to run. Again, you know, sort of a combination of technology and uh, economics have have pressured uh, the industry to find these efficiencies and to find better ways to travel. And perhaps the the benefit will be for the passenger uh, and for the, the the operators because uh, they revealed at the uh, Jitex in Dubai um, earlier this year this sort of uh, security tunnel uh, that's going to be installed at Dubai International uh, next summer that you just walk through as a security check or a passport check it'll be retina scans and all of that so a bit like the Running Man if you ever seen that movie <laughs> yeah. um, and that will you know that obviously reduces a lot of the intrusion and the headache of going through an airport. And then if we're saying in-cabin, we're going to have our own devices and in-flight connectivity that you don't, as you said, you don't have to rely on being told when to or what to do, uh, then perhaps flying will become that much more comfortable like it used to be you know, when we, when we were children. I think that's crucial, and, and I think um, airlines are well aware of it. Airports are well aware of it too. For instance, last week, um, the new T4 terminal at uh, Changi Airport opened super high tech everything's all hooked up to to uh, technology and in theory you can 
go from entering the airport to getting onto the aeroplane without interacting with another human being at all. So everything is is um, electronic and digital. You can walk, basically, you walk straight through. So the, I think airports have become, particularly uh, in the last 10, 15 years with the ramp up of security and this, that and the other, where it became such a, a, an appalling nightmare to... To, to go long haul, um, you know, having to arrive three hours before you, you, your flight and then maybe having to queue up for 45 minutes, an hour, standing there, you know, while somebody rifles through other people's um, smalls is, you know, it's an unpleasant experience. And we've put up with it because there's no other choice. Well, there's the new airline uh, launched by Air France called June, um, which is targeting millennials specifically. And they are uh, definitely going out to make sure that flying is a comfortable, modern uh, experience. And that's the way it, it, it's gonna, it will work. It's all Wi-Fi connected. It's all everything. It's all completely technologically orientated towards millennials and younger people who now, of course, travel far more than people 20, 30 years older than them. They'll take, uh, you know, Chinese uh, um, travelers in their, in their sort of 20s, early 30s. They'll take three, four trips a year around the world um, and the same with millennials elsewhere so and they're just not going to put up with having to stand around for, for three or four hours and um, you know in uncomfortable circumstances so with a company you know with a new airline like June coming along that offers everything they want airlines are going to have to do the same more business extra in just a moment but first allow me to tell you about the Nationals other podcasts Beyond the Headlines takes a deeper dive into the biggest news from the week with a distinct Middle Eastern point of view an extra time from our esteemed sports desk is the best place to chat about the English Premier League and more. Subscribe to both shows as well as this one on Apple Podcasts or find us as always at thenational.ae. The Dubai Air Show is a platform for the aerospace industry, not just in the Middle East, but also for the rest of the world. It brings the industry together to meet, network, discover the latest industry innovations and do business. It truly is the centre of the aerospace industry. In addition to the key players in the industry displaying the latest innovations and network to grow their businesses, visitors will be able to see over 160 of the latest civil, military and business aircraft on the static park, plus a large number taking place in the flying display each afternoon. The part of the Dubai Air Show 2017 I'm most looking forward to is the new features that will be part of the show for the first time in 2017. The cargo zone, space, the UAS Summit and Airport Solutions. The Dubai Air Show has always represented the entire aerospace industry and been at the forefront of industry advances. The addition of these new features demonstrate this. The Dubai Air Show not only offers the Middle East a platform to showcase its achievements, you also get a glimpse once every two years of the current state of the aerospace industry in the region. The Dubai Air Show can also be used to draw attention to any key issues or aspects of the industry. Those were the thoughts of Michelle Van Akeleyen, the managing director of Tarsus, the organisers of the Dubai Air Show, giving some insight in what you can expect at the event, which begins on November 12th. You're listening to the National's Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. Christian Nelson, assistant business editor, is with me as well. We're looking ahead to the air show, which begins on the 12th of November. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. In Dubai. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting. I think everybody, I can see the activity on Twitter. Everyone, journalists, operators, aircraft manufacturers, engine makers, private sector, uh, aviation companies, everybody is gearing up to kind of be ready for this. 
It's a very big show. Um, it's uh, the, you know, every two years, uh, um, it comes along and it offers the world the chance to showcase their uh, their wares. Um, as we were saying earlier, I don't think there's going to be the kind of order um, amounts that we've seen, particularly five, uh, four years ago. Um, there will be orders, of course, there always are. Um, we, as we said, Flyer Deal may well be one of the biggest uh, for their 50 plane order. Um, but of course, outside of the pure jetliner um, sector, the, the, this year, of course, for the uh, for the first time, is the um, the uh, space pavilion and space conferences. Um, but also, aside from that, there are the unmanned aviation section. There is uh, which will which will see probably see um, major purchases on that scale, um, and then of course. Things like flying taxis, which um, you know Dubai is well ahead and into. Um, a German company called Lilium has uh, just about mastered it, really, uh, for a, a two to four person um, electric flying car. Uh, which, talking to um, a Mercedes uh, engineer a while ago, he was saying that um, it'll be fleet buyers to start with, but that they they will definitely become um, a feature of modern cities he, 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 in a, in a um, pre-organized, pre-rooted um, way to start with. So sort of like bus routes in the sky. Yeah, absolutely like that, yeah. Or yeah. tram routes in the sky, yeah. whichever way. Yeah. You, you kind of like get on one, but you can't go from A to B. You've got to go from A to A to A to yeah. A, and then you get off, basically. Yeah, yeah. it'll be uh, – and, of course, it'll be very expensive to start with. Um, well, well, I mean, if we if we take if we sort of talk more broadly about sort of transport in general, it feels like um, a lot of the innovations are expensive that aren't necessarily for the people. I mean, you talk about Hyperloop; the investment required is in the billions. Mm. You'll never you'll never make the money back. But it's somehow in aviation, um, even though the billions that have been invested in the Airbus A three eighty, for example, that Airbus will never make a profit on mm. in the lifetime mm. of the of the program mm. still manages to, to, to people to get bums on seats yeah. uh, for a, an amount that people can afford yeah and I still mean, makes profit is i mean well the airlines do yeah. certainly yeah or well, airbus in well, general airbus, right yeah. in, in yeah. overall will yeah. make will make profit yeah. on the mro i guess on the yeah, the, 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 the servicing and the parts akin to sort of selling a car at a loss because you know for the life of it you'll make the money back That's, right? yeah exactly but yeah. how do you do that with you know, Hyperloop, right? Which probably needs no maintenance. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Hyperloop is a, is a strange one, that, that, and there are serious questions over over its cost. Um, is is it always going to be a rich man's plaything? And if so, does, is that really? Is it going to be so expensive to to actually just cover cost that? Um, is it worth the effort? Even? Well, you, you were saying that if, if flying becomes so efficient and so easy and, 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 you know, so quick that you'll jump, you know, from you'll fly from Abu Dhabi to Dubai, then surely it makes Hyperloop redundant, doesn't it? You'd have thought so, wouldn't you? I mean, OK, Hyperloop will say, I'll get you there in 12 minutes. And an aircraft can say, well, I'll get you there in 25. I right. mean, does that 12 minutes really matter? And so the much? infrastructure's already there for the aircraft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, because you you've, yeah. you know you, you've got your airports and you've, and got, you've got the air. You've got the air. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's almost like they're all vying with each other at mm. the moment, and uh, you know, in the, in the same way that w- what already exists and that you can just evolve will always beat 
something truly disruptive, right? I think also, that, I mean, with Hyperloop, though, there's another possibility, and that's that, um, you know, people like Elon Musk and, and SpaceX, which are backing it, of course, um, uh, along with, I think, Virgin Galactic are involved. Yeah, in they yeah. are, yeah, now. Um, you can imagine that very far down the line, um, with Musk's ambition to populize, uh, populate uh, Mars, you're going to need some kind of transport system that works in a vacuum. That's exactly what Hyperloop does. So if you can get it working and running properly down here, then maybe that is the, you know, the the, the transport solution for Mars in the future. You know? Perhaps I'm, I'm happy for them. Yeah, very much. It yeah. doesn't mean anything for me no, in doesn't. the short run. No, um, but. It, you know, to talk about that kind of innovation, and you know, as you quite rightly said, you know, Dubai is pushing ahead with with unmanned aerial vehicles, but also space is important for the UAE. It's investing a lot, absolutely. In, in, and it's a massive market. space technology yeah. and the innovation, yeah. um, and and in general, um, there's been a lot of investment in in sort of technology here, um, and having that present at the air show. I mean, I could imagine, you know, in two years' time, that's a huge part of the air show. Oh, it will be. You yeah, know, it's I, early I, yeah, days, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. This is the first show where they've got the the, the um, space pavilion and the conferences that go along with it, which will all be looking at uh, investment opportunities and and um, research and development uh, within that sector. And the UAE is very much uh, up there with the front runners on um, space technology development. Um, the, I mean, the market's massive for a start. At the moment, it's worth about three hundred and thirty billion, and by twenty thirty, it's estimated to be worth about six hundred billion. Um, and of course, you know, the UAE has got its um, its Mars mission of its own. Um, it's it's slotted to land, uh, well, to arrive at Mars um, in twenty twenty one. The the Hope spacecraft, and that serves two purposes. Um, Assuming it happens, of course, um, and there's been no no uh, word otherwise. Um, it serves two purposes. One, it is, of course, a great showcase for the country and for the country's technological abilities. But two, it enables this country to develop its own understanding of the technology required for space um, development, space travel, uh, space technological development. And I think that will prove to be crucial in the, in the next sort of 10 to 15 years when... Um, space travel, near space travel, and to a certain extent, maybe even further space travel, um, becomes more and more affordable. Those those countries that know how to do it will be in a position to, to really benefit. And I think the UAE is well aware of that. And, and projects such as the Mars mission provides them with the ability to develop their own experience to be able to take that further in, in the near future. Yeah, if, if, if the future of travel is space travel, then you're going to need airlines that operate in space yeah. so the extension would be the successful earthbound airlines like um if that's not incorrect to say the earthbound <laughs> yeah. airlines but you know what i mean yeah. atmospheric yeah. bound airlines yeah. um like etihad and emirates could not extend into that arena i mean why would virgin you know go into that they already have an, a successful airline they're saying let's get in on commercial space travel early and of course there's the in-between where people talk about using the earth's curvature and being able to exit the atmosphere and then re-enter it in, in quick succession to kind of make long distance yeah point to point travel that's much been shorter. a dream for a while um there, there was a uh, much hoo-ha a few years ago um about something called the ramjet 
that was a new engine that would um, yes we talked w- about yeah, this before that yeah. would enable would enable an aircraft to, to leave the atmosphere and come back in again at very high speed and would basically cut the trip from London to to um, Melbourne to about well, about an hour and a half um, but I think th- that's been very quiet for a while and I th- I think it's probably not going to be the way to go. I think the way that, that um, Virgin Galactic and, and SpaceX are moving is probably, and Jeff Bezos to a certain extent, is probably the way it's going to go. Because as a, if, if you're looking to develop um, space technology to deliver payload, which is effectively what SpaceX is doing, and, and Blue Horizon uh, with Jeff Bezos as well, um, and you've got uh, Virgin Galactic looking at, at space tourism, um, there are byproducts of that that will effectively allow them to do what the ramjet would have allowed um, airlines to do anyway. So I think ramjet's probably probably gone by the wayside. But getting from Melbourne to London via space is probably something that is not not out of the realms of possibility. Um, and I, th- I think the the UAE getting involved in it in the space development side of things from a point of view that there will be manned missions to the moon and where people will stay. There are planned to be manned missions to Mars where people will stay. Infrastructure will need to be there. So you've got to get that infrastructure there somehow. So if you have the payload launch and delivery technology yourself, then you can be in on that game. And with things like the Hope spacecraft and and, um, developing all the technology relevant to that, that gives the UAE its own knowledge base to de- to then commercialise for for the future, it's very far far thinking, not in terms of time wise because it won't be that long, but it's very forward thinking in terms of positioning the country in a uh, you know the ideal sweet spot for what will be a, a, a you know outer space transport revolution. Chris Nelson, assistant editor, assistant business editor here at the National, uh, thanks very much for coming in. My pleasure. Been a fascinating discussion ahead of the Dubai Air Show about aviation, transport, space, and more. Please do download this podcast and our others from Apple Podcasts. Thanks to our producers here, Manny, being with us. And I hope you join us again next week.